with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, the European Union cuts its forecast for the eurozone economic growth this year and the next, and Apple unveils its latest gadgets. And now let's begin with our top story. The European Union has lowered its forecast for economic growth this year and the next, saying inflation is taking a toll on people's willingness to spend. While at the same time, higher interest rates are sharply restricting the credit needed for investment and purchases. The European Commission has cut the growth for the region to 0.8 percent this year and to 1.4 percent next year. Meanwhile, the Commission predicts that Germany's economy, Europe's largest, will shrink by 0.4 percent this year. So, for more on this, join us on the line now, are Qu Qiang, the Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Dr. Qu, first of all, the European Commission has cut its growth forecast for the region. What's your view on the Europe's economy right now? Well, I think、uh, there are several、uh, factors is actually overlapping on the European economy,、uh, created lots of uncertainty. So、uh, the war is going on,、uh, we all know that. So it created a lot of the disruptions on the local stabilities of economic development. And secondly, it's about the raw materials price. So everybody saying、uh, at the early part of this year. Uh, raw materials, for example, like the oil prices, gas prices are falling dr- drastically. But right now, if I take a look at the number, we're seeing the great rebound on the energy price again. So we've been looking at the rebound of inflation again in European Union as well as further in North America. So this can create、uh, a very negative、uh, impact on the monetary policy in those area. So this is the uh, negative uh, factor too. And thirdly,、uh, around the whole world, I think geopolitical and trade frictions is still going on, and、uh, we still are seeing、uh, number four. We're still seeing there are uncertainties happening with American economy as well. So all these factors overlapping together, I'm thinking probably we're going to have a great doubt about the. Uh, next year's European economy.、Mm-hmm. So, Ina, given the current situation, do you think the European Central Bank or the ECB has a clear view of the path ahead regarding the interest rates and tackling the inflation? Uh, not at all. I mean, they're they're stuck there. It looks quite clearly that they're going to pause the increase, but they're going to push through another 0.25 percent as they pursue this kind of two、uh, percent、uh, inflation number.、Uh, but you know, I, I'd go beyond、uh, what my、um, uh, colleague has said. I mean, it's it's not just this year and next year. What what we're seeing in Europe is a deindustrialization. And it's far-reaching.、Uh, you you see wage、uh, side inflation、uh, continues to go up, and there's no demand out there. I mean, Europe. Think about it. For many years, you know, they they have existed based on their brands.、Uh, people、uh, preferred the kind of quality and the the history that they could offer in the in the marketing. 
Mm. Uh, but that is starting to go away. I mean, people are more concerned about necessities uh, rather than, um, you know, uh, things that are literally just about choices. Uh, you know, whether you buy a mid-grade, low-end low or high-end uh, phone, uh, the issue is it's about a choice. It's not a necessity. Mm. So they're on the falling edge of that. And uh, as a result, um, th this is what I would see as a long-term trend. Uh, Europe is going to start losing a lot of its edge, especially its wealth, as it's no longer able to compete. You know, you, you look at, it's not just German factories, but across Europe, uh, the uh, um, amount of production is going down um, which is affecting their demand, which is affecting global demand. Uh, and it's a kind of a downward spiral at this point. Mm. And Dr. Chu, so Germany is not doing very well, and Europe's largest economy is predicted to post a 0.4% fall in economic activity this year. So how much of a concern is German economy, which is the powerhouse of the EU? Well, German's economy actually epitomizes the whole situation in the whole European Union. Well, I think there are several reasons behind that. Uh, one thing is what I just remember, what just mentioned about the overlapping factors. Another thing is about a factor within the European Union itself. For example, in Germany, uh, their economic structure remain not uh, adapted to, to the reality, like uh, my coworker Ina just mentioned. Um, they rely too much on the brand, and uh, they are not very swift trying to accommodate to the new changes in the market, for example, their auto industry. In a very long run, uh, for example, and the very famous German brands refused to go very swiftly towards the electrified uh, vehicles. So that's the reason why I think Chinese companies, as well as even Vietnam companies, are marching forward very fast to, to take out the market share, as well as in some other factors. For example, in America, and America are trying to uh, Reindustrialized, so which means many of the uh, manufacturing sectors try to repeat, uh, try to be relocated back in America rather than stay in Europe. So the investment towards the whole European market, especially in Germany and France, uh, has been halted or slowing down. So that can all be a very negative impact towards uh, the European economy, uh, represented by uh, Germany and France. So I think this problem cannot be, you know, solved in a very short run. And Aina, so we are seeing the manufacturing activity in Germany fell at its fastest pace since June 2009, excluding the COVID-19 pandemic period. And you just now mentioned deindustrialization. So what are the main factors behind this? Well, a lot of it has to do with what uh, my colleague, Professor Chu, has said. I mean, uh, the war in Ukraine has upended the energy supplies uh, making it impossible for Germany to produce um, competitively. Um, and, you know, that's not just reflected in Germany, it's throughout the uh, EU. I mean, um, the purchasing managers index has been below 50 for 14 consecutive months. And, you know, recently the service uh, sector had always been a bright spot, but now it has to below 50% as well. So you're, you're just seeing this confluence of effects of the aftermath of COVID-19, uh, the inability to deal with the global financial situ uh, situation, which we just witnessed at the meeting of the G20. Um, and then, you know, the realities of what this, um, you know, war did. But, you know, people shouldn't see this war as the is the only factor. Uh, it was perhaps the the last straw and a tipping point. 
Um, I completely agree. I mean, uh, Europe has been very, very uh, loath to, you know, to move into new areas uh, and while increasing inflation in their things. So you, 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 when you start talking about the ECB and everything that's going on, there just does not seem to be an adult at the wheel. Um, there's, there's no clear direction on how they're going to uh, say this, you know, when von der Leiden is out there, you know, screaming that she's going to protect, uh, uh, European businesses against their largest market. Uh, you know, it, it's, it literally makes my head explode. So Dr. Chu, the outlook also said the Eurozone inflation would fall to 6.5% this year, but it warned that the inflation would remain at 3.2% next year. And we've seen several rounds of the interest rate hikes by the ECB. But is the region doing enough to tackle the inflation? Why is the inflation so stubborn? Well, inflation is always very, very stubborn. Uh, back in the 19, uh, 1980s, uh, if you take a look at the track record of America's uh, stagflation period of time, you won't know that's just roller coaster process. Uh, the inflation goes up very quickly, and then crazy interest rate hike, and then people's expectation changes, and then fall a bit, a little bit in inflation, and then people get relaxed and choke and lean back, and then suddenly they found. Uh, inflation just to go back up again. So it just ups and downs, ups and downs. It goes around for like several years. And I think these days, everybody are too optimistic. Um, so everybody are saying, okay, Federal Reserve or ECB just hike up the interest rate uh, immediately by 5% or by 6%. And then we're going to kill the inflation immediately. And we're going to see victory six months later or uh, one year later. But I don't think that is uh, very realistic because if I take a look at the uh, money issuance volume, uh, the sheer volume of the money issued to the market is hundreds of times more than back in the 1980s. And also, um, we're looking at the major, uh, several major uh, international incidents happening all, all around the world. None of them are going to be resolved within a short time. For example, uh, the geopolitical conflicts at the doorstep. When they'll be there for like more than one or two years, you're gonna you're gonna bet on the volatility on the raw materials prices. So, with the oil prices goes ups and down, gas prices goes ups and down, and the food prices. Basically, I don't think um, we're gonna look at the very stable expectations. So, my my guess on the uh, inflation next year on the European Union will not be that smoothly reduced or lower to uh, their targeted range probably is going to be uh, ups and downs again next year. And also, if you want to combat uh, inflation, you need to upgrade your own pro uh, productivities, which means even though you have lots of money floating around, but you can provide more of the uh, products, services, and providing people more of the salaries so to counter back the mm. inflation. But against the current situation, like me and uh, my, my colleague Anna just uh, discussed, Within a short time, I don't think European Union's economic structure can be optimized to that extent, um, you know, easily. That's my guess about uh, next year's inflation. Mm -hmm. And the EU also said the essentially unchanged outlook for the global growth and trade means that the EU cannot rely on demand from other countries to support its economy. So what's your view on that? And what's the structural problem for the European Union? And what's the way out? Well, European Union used to be a very important powerhouse for not only uh, the global economy, but also for um, 
next to China, they are the second largest manufacturing center of the whole world, exporter, providing very important products to the rest of the world, for sure. But from the supply side, as I just mentioned, the producing uh, the producing cost in the European Union is uh, majorly upgraded because of the uh, rising cost, no matter for the manual labors, but also for the raw materials. And secondly, about the purchasing power uh, in the European Union themselves, as well as outside the European Union. If you take a look at the Latin America, high inflation. If you take a look at the Africa, many countries are going through. You know, chaotic situations. Take a look around uh, Eastern Asia, which is still a peaceful and still very stable market. But even that, uh, for China, we're trying uh, to achieve a better recovery. For Japan, and they're still fighting against a potential recession. Uh, even in ASEAN nations, the fastest growing region, and in India, India still are suffering from the trade deficit against their fast growing economy. And in ASEAN countries, we've been seeing the shrinking PPI and a PMI in many countries since uh, the second half of the year already. So the weak demand outside uh, European Union probably will not give so much of a contribution to the growth of the European Union of the next year. So that's what I'm worrying about. So, Ina, so the World Trade Organization recently said the fragmentation of the global economy would be extremely costly and make the world less stable. And in this report, the WTO said geopolitical tensions among major economies are beginning to affect the trade flows, and policymakers are urged to pursue greater international cooperation and broader economic integration. This is an approach that the WTO described as re-globalization. So, how do you explain that, and why is it important now? Well, it's it's ec- economic logic. I mean, if you look at the last twenty uh, years before COVID, uh, you saw a, a major world um, you know resurgence. I mean, it was all based on this rising incomes because of additional uh, buying power, optimization of the supply chains, um, optimization of of production. Uh, except in areas like the U.S. and Europe,、uh, they continue to exist basically on brands or on their higher technology.、Uh, but that kind of fortress has been breached.、Um, brands、uh, are not as important when you start getting into times when you know times are tough. People go towards necessities; they don't have money for these additional pieces.、Um, but you know you. you There, there's this much larger area. When you start looking at the world today,、uh, a lot of the things、uh, Professor Chu has talked about, and I, I'm referring to, is the fact that you have this supply side,、um, no, labor side, inflation aspect, especially in the U.S. and Europe, which makes them uncompetitive. And by that, I mean if you start looking at you know what the wages are in、uh, Europe versus Vietnam or some other places, this idea that you're going to produce clothes or that you're going to reshore major production、uh, into either Europe or America is a pipe dream. The U.S. is doing it,、uh, huge subsidies, but already you know、uh, it's been shown that they will not be、um, uh, market uh, competitive. Uh, the cost will be higher. I, I always use the, the things where TSMC is building two plants: one in、uh, Taiwan, one in the U.S.、Uh, 
The chips made in the U.S. plant will be exactly the same as the Taiwan chips, but they will cost 30% more because of the additional costs involved in doing it in the United States. So th this is an example. So when the WTO is saying these things, it makes perfect economic sense. But the problem is the trust has been lost. Mm -hmm. The U.S. feels that during this 20-year period, they lost a step, they lost their uh, industries and things like that. They don't look at the realities. They just look at the emotional feeling of it. And until you get past that, it's really difficult. Now, and while we're talking about the WTO, let's make it clear. The WTO was a great thing that was helping the world, uh, across the world. You know, the U.S. and Europe can complain that they lost out on production capability, but they were taking home two thirds of all the profits that were being generated. So this idea that somehow they were made poorer is not true. The problem was that the benefits were going to the very top, to the C-level suites, whereas people at the bottom who had lost their jobs, um, who are still working, were under tremendous pressure. They weren't feeling uh, uh, these all these profits, except if they were invested in the markets and things like this. So that is a process that uh, cannot uh, continue to go on. But the WTO itself, as I said, was a great organization. It helped things. Mm -hmm. But who is holding it back? The United States. The United States refuses to allow the WTO to operate by not allowing appellate judges who are necessary to render final verdicts to be appointed. It is a U.S. policy that they will not accept any entity above the United States. America first, America only. Uh, the global world order is not the global world order. It is simply the U.S. order. And, you know, it's not working in a multipolar world. So, Dr. Chu, what about the challenges we've seen in the global supply chain? What needs to be done to make them work given the current situation? Uh, I think, well, for the supply chain, I think everybody will understand. Currently, what we need to do is that uh, to make peace everywhere, um, we need to stop the geopolitical conflicts. And that's in a political side, but also in a trade side, we need to stop the trade friction. So I think the fundamental problem for current issue is not the supply chain, it's productivity. When the cake is not getting faster as we expected, so people try to grab bigger piece of pie for themselves. So when you try to grab the bigger piece for yourself and everybody start to quarrel, arguing and even fighting against each other. So that's the reason why we created the supply chain problem. So in order to solve the problem, I think we're right now in the prisoner's dilemma. So your intuition tells you to you know, punch back and harder and then to build a war against uh, your neighbors. But now you need to relax and talk to each other, negotiate with everybody, shake hands and work together to lower everybody's cost to fight against inflation, to, you know, to again back on the track of the globalization. I think this is the only way we can fight against the current challenge. And mm. then everybody work together on the technology R&D to find out uh, the new breakthrough. And then we can upgrade our productivity again. Mm -hmm. Well, we're speaking with Xu Qiang, the Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Apple's latest gadgets. Stay with us. D-Dive, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive 
into the news every week. Hear our conversations. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Apple has unveiled the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Plus, featuring the dynamic island and an advanced camera system. Compared with the previous models, the iPhone 15s have new chips, titanium shells, and a USB-C charging cable. For more on this, earlier I spoke with Andy Mark, a senior tech analyst. So, Andy, I want to begin by asking your biggest takeaway from this year's Apple event, because it seems like people always wait to see how Apple is going to change things from year to year and how much it's going to cause us to adapt to these changes. So, what's your main takeaway from this year's Apple event? Well, Zhao Yang, I think it's remarkable、uh, how much Apple has become a part of people's lives all around the world, and the iPhone. In particular, so every year,、uh, individuals, businesses, the media,、uh, really look forward to、uh, the announcement of the latest iPhone models. And in this way, I think the, 50, the iPhone 15 is no different. That being said, I think in the last few years, there really have not been、uh, many truly dramatic advances. That they tend to be more incremental. And I think this year is no different. So. Uh, the latest iPhone is better, faster, etc., but still largely a continuation of previous models.、Mm. And you talk about the iPhone. So compared with the iPhone 14, the previous model, so how much better can this new one get? Well, again, I think that's a great point in that the、uh, improvements are largely incremental,、um, and what we're seeing is also. Uh, Apple's pivots or its evolution of its business model away from、uh, really hoping people buy a new phone every year because every new year's model is significantly better in important ways、uh, that people are holding off, and what Apple is doing is transitioning more to a、uh, services-based model、uh, to offset、uh, some of the、uh, major breakthroughs that people expected in the early years of the iPhone. So I think that's one thing, but the others, of course, I think we'll be talking about、uh, the USB-C connector as well, which is not so much、uh, a user improvement as it is perhaps more of a regulatory political development. So, Andy, I want you to talk a bit more about this USB-C connection. Why is it so important? Well, I think this is、uh, we can understand as perhaps、uh, Apple suffering from its own success because. Apple has become so pervasive、uh, globally that governments around the world have different kinds of concerns about it. But、uh, in the European Union,、uh, it was seen that this is、uh, choosing a more industry standard USB-C versus、um, the Lightning cord, which is Apple's proprietary、uh, standard for this,、uh, is better for、uh, a broader set of interests. 
And I think that this shows, again, that uh, government's really stepping in when they feel they need to. And uh, this is not just with uh, the EU, but I think we're seeing this all around the world as well with other aspects of Apple's business. Mm. And how do you view the market potential for this new iPhone 15 series products, Andy? Because some experts questioned whether the consumers would be prepared to pay the high price tax for the devices. So what do you think? Well, that's another fascinating question, uh, Zhao Yang. So again, I think clearly the world has changed where uh, many people felt they had to get the latest uh, iPhone model. Many people are using their phones for longer. So I think this is clearly something that Apple's recognized and is looking for other ways to monetize and deliver value uh, to their consumers. So I think that's a development that really has to be recognized here. And the global smartphone market has slumped from shipping, you know, 294 million total phones to 268 million in the second quarter of this year. So, Andy, how do you see this trend? Well, I think this also is a reflection of this category of smartphones, whether that's Apple or Huawei or other uh, brands, that this is a mature market. So it's no longer in a rapid growth phase. So I think this is one of the reasons we see this. Um, and of course, this is also coupled with uh, perhaps reaching a plateau in what is actually possible with smartphones. Mm. And what about the landscape of global smartphone manufacturing currently? Well, I think certainly uh, Apple has a very compelling uh, business case in that they're not just selling uh, a device, a smartphone, that they're actually selling an entire ecosystem. And that is very valuable. And I mentioned earlier their pivot to services as well of various kinds, whether that's music, whether that's data storage. Um, and for other companies to achieve comparable success, I think it will not be enough to just have a better piece of hardware, but I think they'll have to certainly look at it holistically and see how can they also deliver uh, a comprehensive user experience that uh, covers the hardware, covers apps, and covers services as well. And Apple shares closed down a little bit lower after this event. So, Andy, what challenges does this uh, tech giant face? Well, I think like any tech company, especially one that is focused on consumers and also positions itself, not just as a tech product, but also a luxury product and even a fashion product, keeping up and even ahead of consumer taste uh, is very important. But also we've seen around the world, uh, again, with uh, USDC, uh, that country companies like Apple with a global footprint uh, really need to consider many, many factors, not just technology, not just understanding consumer preferences, but also the ability to deal with uh, major governments all around the world. That was Andy Mark, a senior tech analyst, talking about Apple's latest gadgets. Well, with that, we end this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.